against the flow is very difficult. It's okay if you stay within the groups of people that hold to your point of view. But the moment you step out of your bubble and try to communicate with people outside, they don't want to hear you. And by the way, usually you don't want to hear them. This is the kind of social dynamic that's operating today. A lot of it is to do with social media. Uh, let's not blame social media on everything, but the algorithms and the search engines that you use when you go to YouTube and start looking at certain things and start to follow certain people, the YouTube algorithm takes a notice of that and then sends you more of the same. You go to look up one YouTube little video and then six more pop up and they all say the same thing. So you walk away from several sessions of your own private YouTube viewing believing that the whole world thinks like you and you are right. But what you don't realize is somebody else on the other side of town is also doing their YouTube tracking and social media preferences and the algorithms are working to reinforce their ideas by the kind of material that is suggested to them. So they think that what they think everybody else thinks and they are right. And then somebody stands up and says something that's different and you say, no, that's not right. You don't even have a right to say that. In other words, we live in echo chambers. Our voice is echoed back to us because of the social networks that we are part of and also the communities that we are part of. Even the Church of Jesus Christ is like this. I find that we are very safe and content when we follow each other and the YouTube videos and all the messages that we send to each other uh, and then when we try to communicate with people outside of our bubble, we are horrified. They don't think like we think. They've got different viewpoints. They've not discovered the God of the Bible. Their worldview is taken probably from science fiction, which becomes science fact, Hollywood movies, popular chat shows. And so we have a problem of communication. Because the truth is, Whatever view there is out there in the world, and that's prevalent out there, not founded on the word of God, when we stand up to share our faith and our love for Jesus, we are going against the flow. And it's not just a light current against us. It is like, it is like a avalanche. It's like a tsunami flood hitting us. And we retreat, washed up on the beach, thinking, wow, 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 we can't do anything about this. But God has called us not only to stand up, but to stand out and to speak out, even if it is against the flow. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That's a selection from verse 5. And this is 
We're going to read the whole passage in a moment. But this is the key verse from Jeremiah's call to be a prophet at a time when popular opinion, a tidal wave of opinion, was against the revealed word of God. And what I want to do today is to learn some of the secrets that Jeremiah learned. How to stand strong, how to stand up, how to stand out, how to speak out, even when it's not popular. How do we sustain that over a period of time? Jeremiah conducted his ministry over 40 years with hardly anybody listening to him or believing him. But he remained faithful. So Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 10 says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, oh Lord God, behold, I, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now that passage is particularly precious to me because it was the passage that God used to call and confirm his call into what we call the ministry. And I remember it very well. In the documentary, I tell quite a lot of the story of my background in the theater and in dance, my call by, of the Lord out of that into the kind of ministry that has developed over the years. And I remember it was my final performance with the Royal Ballet. Never again to tread the boards. Dame Margot Fontaine was with us and was dancing with us, which was a wonderful experience for me. And after the performance, I was so excited. It was such a momentous moment for me that I, I didn't go to bed. I didn't go to sleep. I stayed up, I was thinking and praying, 
And quite early in the morning, I went out for a walk. And as I went out for a walk, reflecting, this passage came to me and it was impressed upon me. It's my personal call into the ministry. But it's not just for preachers or for Old Testament prophets who do not exist today. Be careful when somebody takes a passage from Jeremiah, puts it in their language and starts to blast you with the judgment of God, with infallible authority. There needs a whole lot of filtering before we can take some of these words and pass them on to one another because we're living in a new covenant. And there's, there are different principles that apply, but repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is always a good message. So it's not just for pastors and preachers and so-called prophets. It's for every believer. God has called you to a prophetic ministry. Uh, say what that means right now it doesn't mean to say that you're going to necessarily walk around and proclaim great prophecies to kings and to people that may be the case but for all of us it means this we have we are a prophetic revelation to the nation of who Jesus is in our own hearts and lives we demonstrate him through our character and our, through, our, through our love and our compassion and the way we relate to one another, and the way we relate to the world, and how we love one another. And it's not just us as individuals, it's us together as a church. We are the body of Christ, and we are God's representatives to demonstrate who the Father is, what his heart is, how he loves people, and to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's something for everybody here today. Now the first thing, <clears throat> that I want you to notice is the days in which Jeremiah lived are in many ways very similar to our own days. Judah, which was the kingdom that Jeremiah prophesied to, Judah was in an apostate state. In other words, Judah was increasingly turning its back upon God. And that little history lesson from Josiah, that first king mentioned, to Zedekiah, the last king mentioned, that was a very crucial time. It was the last days of the kingdom of Judah before Judah was handed over to the judgment of God and the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and took the people captive. A couple of generations before that, the northern kingdom of Israel that had Samaria as the capital had fallen to the Assyrian Empire. And the prophets were saying, the same thing is going to happen to you. Come on people, turn your hearts back to God. Repent. Worship him once again. Obey him because you are in danger of going the way of Samaria. And they turned around and laughed and scoffed and said, no, 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 we're not. We have Jerusalem. Jerusalem. God will never allow his holy city to fall because in Jerusalem there is the temple that shall be preserved because the temple is the presence, the living place of God. God will not allow his holy temple to be overthrown. And the prophet said, no, no, 
you, you've gone too far. Please turn back, turn back, turn back. And that was Jeremiah's message. Day after day, year after year, the nation continued to turn back. It turned its back on God. Not turn back to God, but turn its back on God. I want to implore you today, if there's anything in your life that is displeasing to God, if you're going the wrong direction, turn around, turn back to God. And so the nation, as a result, was going into decline. So already you can see how Britain is increasingly an ever-increasing measure more and more resolutely turning its back upon God. Now is there any wonder then the same conditions that were in the latter days of the kingdom of Judah are also happening in Britain today? There was a weakness politically the political structures were weakened. And we find that today. That's what's happening. It's not necessarily a, a proof positive, but it certainly suggests that this is one of the effects when a nation takes God out of its heart, turns over to other things, and what then happens is a weakening. We are being weakened politically, economically, and there is a tremendous weakening of social structures. There is division everywhere. And this is the master plan of the enemy. It's called divide and conquer. When our nation is so divided, so intolerant of other viewpoints, and everybody, I mean this quite literally, is hell-bent on getting their version of their will and their ideology pushed forward and not listening to anybody else, not preparing to acknowledge that there are legitimate arguments on many different sides of political and social debate. But in this spirit of intolerance and division, this weakens the nation. And by that simple principle, divide and conquer, if our nation remains as divided as it is, it will fall in one way or another. It will fall. And we as the people of God are called to step into this crisis and ensure that we stand united in praise, united in prayer and intercession, united in witness, and not allow the spirit of division that's operating in the nation to infiltrate the church. And it's even more than that, because we know that the things that we see, the visible things, are just an earthly reflection of what's happening in the heavenly realms. I believe that there is a mother of all battles raging in the spiritual realm over the soul of our nation. And we need to identify the true enemy. The true enemy is not a political view that you don't agree with. A true enemy is not a social standard that you find distasteful. The true enemy are the principalities and powers who are operating through earthly means and people and stirring up the division that they want to bring into the nation 
so that those principalities and powers can take over. So it is a serious thing. The other thing about this day, back in the days of Judah, was that they were trusting in false hopes. First of all, there was the false theology that God would not allow Jerusalem to fall. It was his city. And that he would not allow the temple to be destroyed. It was his dwelling place. But what they had forgotten was the other half of the covenant. God said, I will be your God. I will dwell with you. But you are to be my people, to worship no other God but me, and to serve me with all of your hearts. And God was so faithful and so patient year after year until that line was crossed and there was no turning back. And poor old Jeremiah was called to be God's voice to that nation that was never going to listen. So he went against the flow. How did he do it? How was that possible? Was he superhuman? We see that he didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And you know, when I meet somebody that has a lot of self-confidence, I tremble. Because confidence in self is like trusting the arm of the flesh. And the Bible says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, I'm, I rejoice in my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong because Christ's strength is made perfect in my weakness. So we know it wasn't Jeremiah's natural strength. And that could never have been enough. He was constantly ridiculed. He was Mr. Persona Non Grata. He was frequently attacked, imprisoned, persecuted, threats made against his life, and even charged with treason. Imagine the prophet of the Lord who is bringing the faithful word of the Lord to the people of God being charged with treason. How did that happen? As time progressed, the word of the Lord was, don't even pray for these people anymore. They've passed the point of no return. And if they want to save themselves any form of suffering, as far as it's possible, surrender to the Babylonians. Don't resist the Babylonians, because I have sent the Babylonians. Don't resist them. So Jeremiah gets up with this wonderful good news message. Uh, and he thinks it's going to be well received. I've got a wonderful word for you. God will save some of you if you don't fight, if you just surrender to the enemy. And they said, this is outrageous. You can see how they might find that difficult. But they had no faith in God to deliver. No faith in the word of God coming to them. And so he, he didn't give up despite all these things, year in, year out, very little response positively. Very few people believed him. Almost universally rejected. 
Now, we have got it a bit better than that. Because <laughs> there are people who are listening. There are people who want to open their hearts to God. I'm not just talking about church people. I'm talking about people outside. There is a hunger out there. So we don't have it as bad as that, but there will be opposition and ridicule, particularly if we stand up in order to stand out, in order to speak out, we will be opposed. So the word of the Lord was so genuine within him that he couldn't keep quiet. On one occasion, Jeremiah got so discouraged, frustrated, and even quite angry with the Lord. He says, what's the deal here? Ever since I started speaking, all this trouble has come to my life. Nobody is listening. Do you know what? I resign. I'm not going to prophesy anymore. And then he waited. I don't know if God actually answered him, but something happened. A fire began to rise up on the inside of him, he said. And the word of the Lord was burning. And the only way to get that rid of that burning was to speak out. He couldn't help himself. So even though he resigned, five minutes later he's in the temple preaching and proclaiming the word of God. You cannot run away from God or his call. Amen and amen. Thank God for that. And the other thing we have to bear in mind was that everything that Jeremiah said was finally vindicated by the Lord. That's very helpful for me when, you know, I get frustrated. I try very hard to share Christianity or my faith with people, not in order to convert them because that's not my job. And I think, oh, you know, I, this is so frustrating. It, it doesn't seem to be working. And, and I, t I think at times too, if I may just say a little bit personally, when I have received such very clear revelation concerning the 2020s, what is coming upon us. I feel sometimes, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel sometimes that people don't take notice of that. Now, it's not poor me, nobody's listening to me. I'm saying that, that I share sometimes that bit of frustration where sometimes God's people, their ears are not open as they should be open to what God is saying. And they're so preoccupied with themselves, their own emotions, their hurts, their own needs, and become shut into the subjective thing rather than saying, do you know what? I am complete in Christ. He has called me. I will do God's work, even if it doesn't always feel like it's successful, because the time is coming when every word spoken by God will be vindicated. God's word shall come to pass. God's victory shall be manifested. And we are declaring that victory, even if at times it looks like we are, we are not on the victory side. But when we look into the heavenly realms and see Jesus Christ seated above all things, and as God said to Jeremiah, God's word is over the nations, over the kingdoms. In other words, God's word is in full control. And if you line up with God's word, you're lining up with the victory in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So my message this morning is to look at the secrets of Jeremiah 
that sustained him for the long term. What was it about him? It wasn't his own personality. It wasn't his natural ability. But there were some secrets that he learned and he could live off these to sustain him over a period of time so he would not grow weary in his battle against the powers in the nation. That he would not grow tired of constantly going against the flow, but stay faithful to stand up in order to stand out that he may speak out for God. What was it that sustained him? And it's what will sustain you. That's what I'm saying. I want to encourage you. What will sustain you? Forget about Josiah, Zedekiah, and every, everybody else. Think about you this morning. What God has called you to do. Where you're finding it tough. And you know that God has called you to do something. And you're, you're trying your best. And it maybe doesn't seem working. And, and you're getting tired. How can you sustain who you are and what you've been called to do? Secrets from Jeremiah. Number one. His encounter with God. He met the Lord. Now he had many encounters with God, but it all began with that first encounter, which was his call to the ministry. I know that at times in my life, when the going gets tough, what has sustained me is the word of God over my life. And if I in any way was called into the ministry through Jeremiah's prophecy, then why should I complain that it gets difficult? <laughs> and so I am sustained by that. Jeremiah was sustained by that. And, and his encounter with God, first, his, first of all, his first encounter with God shaped his life, defined who he was, a prophet of the Lord. And it says in verse 4, in that encounter, Now the word of the Lord came to me. An amazing statement. God came to him. So often we preach, you've got to go to God. You've got to go to God. But unless God has come to you, you can't go to God. That's why we believe in Christ. He came. The Word came. The Word was made flesh. God came to us. And the Word came to us. Can you see the parallel I'm drawing? When it says, the word of the Lord came to me, most of us might think, oh, well, he heard a voice. And God does speak with an audible voice from time to time. And so people can hear the word of the Lord. But this is not just an audible voice. The hint is already in what I've been saying. The word of the Lord is not just a voice. The word of the Lord is a person. The second person of the Trinity. Let me quote it again. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. 
The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and nothing that has been made was brought into being without Him. And then it goes on to say, and the Word became flesh. In other words, the Word appeared. This is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now let me show you how clear it is. Verse 9, this word that came did not only speak, but it took on visible form, probably a human-type form, and in that form, in that physical manifestation of the Word of God, the Lord, who is the Word, reached out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth. This was a physical encounter. Remarkable. Now, every one of those things relate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will say, what? I'd like the Lord to show up like that to me. Do you know what? So would I. But the truth is, he already has. Because the word has been made flesh for every one of us. And when we encounter Christ, we have a deep and lasting, life-changing encounter with God. And that encounter was powerful. Now, this experience was not just a spiritual experience. It was an experience that brought revelation. Now, this is what's important. Today, we live in a world where people are, have a keen interest in spirituality and in spiritual experiences. And people are experiencing spiritual things all over the place. But they are not always discerning enough to ask about what spirit is manifesting. Okay? Now, the spirit of God manifests by bringing revelation of the truth of God's word. So this was revelation, not just an experience, bringing the truth of God's word. And it was that revelation, that truth that sustained him. Um, let me explain why I'm, I'm, I'm making this a strong point. Spiritual experiences alone are not enough because they don't last. The feeling doesn't last. You understand me? If you're just looking for spiritual experiences that give you a good feeling, a warm feeling, or, or some assurance, that's fine. But you must also make sure that with that spiritual experience, you grab the revelation of God's word to your heart. And that's how you sustain yourself with the word that is revealed. Because the word of God is true, whether you feel it or you don't feel it, whether you look good or don't look good, whether you're up or down, in or out or inside out, it makes no difference. God's word is true over your life through all circumstances. It's a never changing word. That's why, that's why we should be defined by the Word of God. And so 
what was some of this revelation. The revelation was this. Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. In other words, God knew Jeremiah before he created him. Now that's not hugely mystical. What it means is God's purpose extends to every person who is formed in the womb. God has a plan and a purpose for every person under heaven. God has a personal plan. You are not just the product of biological forces or biological or, or, bi biology. You're not just a force. You are the result, the product of a creative God who knit you together in your mother's womb, who made you the only you that exists in the world. No other you but you. He made you who you are. He put you together in a way that pleased him. And that was loving creation. And with it comes not just affirmation of your identity, but confirmation of your purpose. We are not just ornaments. We're not those people that God says, look at those people, aren't they beautiful? And you are, and we are. But it's more than a beautiful ornament. We are a powerful instrument in the purposes of God. That's why in our cell vision, we have this rather outrageous uh, uh, um, goal to see every one of you fruitful in the ministry. Every one of you rising up to be the best you that God will ever make you to be and become. That you become an influence, that you make a difference, that you make impact. Not necessarily or always the kind of impact that will be recorded in the annals of earthly history. But oh my word, every single thing that you achieve through, for God in your life is recorded in the annals of eternal history. Your story will be told. You didn't get to make the movie. You didn't get access to television and being interviewed for a one and a half hour show of your life. <laughs> you may never get that on earth. I did, so there it is. But when we get to heaven, there will be a movie of you. And you will have the front row seat. And the angel will say, come on, let's see your life. And it will come up on the screen. And you will be amazed at what you did that you never knew bore fruit. You have no idea. You might have been a tiny link in a long chain, but without that link, it would never have happened. We give God praise and glory for his desire to use every single one of us. Amen and amen. And so, out of this, he was consecrated before he was born, appointed as a prophet to the nations. Everybody's calling is different, but there is a general sense in which we are all called to represent God and his word to the nation and all nations. And so that was a tremendous assurance. 
a revelation of his identity, a revelation of his purpose, and a revelation of his destiny. Now, I'll read it again so we, so we get this again. I emphasized it when I read it before, but let me really spell it out. Verse 10. So think of the implications of verse 10. Jeremiah is nervous. He has an excuse of being too young. Don't make that excuse because you will think you're too young until one day somebody says you're too old. So <laughs> just get on with it, okay? What's your excuse? And we all have an excuse and we think it's so rational and God will have to buy our excuse. Do you know what? His purpose is bigger than our small excuses. So give in, you can't fight God, and just do what he wants you to do. Can I have an amen? amen. All right. But he also understood that there was going to be a lot of resistance. Um, and in fact, uh, I don't know whether Jeremiah knew it, but nobody was going to listen to him. He, was, he wasn't going to win any converts. But he was as a witness of the word of God to nations. As far as I know, he never left the nation of Judah. Perhaps at the end, I know he, he went with some exiles in Egypt to prophesy to them. But he prophesied to the nations. He had a global audience right there in his confinement. A global audience. And he wrote God's prophetic word to all the nations right from where he was. And so still... What was the fruit? He didn't see it in his life. He didn't see it in his life. And that must be difficult. But God gave him this assurance from the beginning. See, I have set you this day over nations. Over nations. So who is in charge? We could say Jeremiah which would be true, but it wasn't Jeremiah, it was God's word in his mouth. God's word is in control. And when we take God's word in our mouth and in our hearts and we pray, proclaim, intercede, we have in God's name authority over nations. It's almost unbelievable. And it doesn't look like that with the natural eye. Do you not sometimes feel powerless just watching if you dare to continue to watch the television and the news and all that's happening and we think, my goodness me, what a mess. But the truth is, especially in the place of prayer, we can rise above the mess, rise above the human strife and enter into the spiritual realm and not just be used by God to pray and intercede to bring changes in the spiritual realm. But higher than that, we are in the very presence of God who is victory himself. I've said to you this day, over nations, over kingdoms, and then the effects of this, there was going to be a lot of undoing, a lot of breaking down of attitudes, and, and nations would fall and kingdoms would fall. But then this glorious hope you are also going to be a builder and a planter. It's very easy to find a destroyer. It's very easy for people to tear down. You know, like ever since you were a kid, you built a little sandcastle and somebody comes along and kicks it down. It's very easy to tear down. And people do it so easily. 
tear down, criticize what you do. Say it'll never work. Say, you know, they could do better. It's very easy to criticize. And tearing down sometimes is important. Sometimes you have to demolish a building in order to build a building. Sometimes you have to uproot in order to plant. And so it's a very important element. But remember, it's easier to tear down. What's very hard is to build. And we should focus on the building, building one another up. But the main point here is that God says, Jeremiah, we're going to win. You are going to win. I've given you my authority and in my word, you will proclaim over nations and things are going to happen. So he said, remember that when it doesn't seem like it's working. Remember that when you think there's no fruit. Remember that when nobody's listening to you. Remember that when they're opposing you and ridiculing you. Remember whatever I command you, you shall speak and the word of God shall prevail. Amen and amen. And then this final secret. Have you picked up the secrets that I've been talking about? Had an encounter with God. It was a personal experience that brought him assurance of his identity, his purpose, his destiny. It came with revelation of God's word. It came with an assurance, an assurance of God's presence at all times. When God sends you, he never sends you to go alone. First of all, we should be going together. That's right. We are brothers and sisters. We're called to stand together, to work together, to pray together, to fast together, to call upon God together, to praise God together, to witness together, to disciple together. We're called to do it together. We're not alone. But there might be times when you feel utterly alone. Maybe in your office or your workplace. It's dominated by other people who oppose the gospel or who, are, who think it's all irrelevant and shut you down. The moment you try to open your mouth, they close you down and you feel all alone. But remember, you are not alone. He never sends you alone. He goes with you. He says, we're going together. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right up until the blessed end. The blessed end. And the end is blessed. The blessed God and glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He is with you in every dark day, every rainy day, every day where that, that depression thing hits you. When you feel so discouraged when sometimes your own friends don't understand you. Not just when the enemy tries to get you, but when you find your own people who are supposed to support you are actually forsaking you. If that's ever happened, sometimes I think we all feel that we go through that. But remember, you're not alone. I am with you to the very end of the age. Therefore, he says, do not be afraid. For I am with you to deliver you. What's that mean? 
It means when you obey God and put yourself in a situation where there is opposition and difficulty, then he will deliver you. He will sustain you there. God's presence is not just for that cozy blanket feeling of just being alone with Jesus. That's important that you learn that in the secret place. God's presence is promised to you to be most fully manifested when you are engaging in his work. And because of your obedience, you're in a mess. You're in difficulty. And you want to wish that that was an inspired TV series, Beam Me Up, Scotty. Star Trek. Remember that? Beam me up. You want beam me out of here, God. But God will say, no, 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 no. I will do that. It's called the rapture. But in the meantime, get on with the work I've called you to do. So these are the secrets, some of them anyway, that sustained Jeremiah during 40 years of difficult ministry. And they will also sustain you as you take up your prophetic call to reveal the heart of the Father to your generation, your little Jeremiah anointing. And it's real, and he will sustain you, and God will be with you. Give him a big praise, everybody.